Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Kernison of BetterHealthWhileAging.net. And today I've decided to um, record an update on COVID, especially addressing COVID vaccination for aging adults. So I wanna share some updates and recommendations. I will be adding this to my existing article on COVID vaccination, which I've updated occasionally a few times since it was originally written uh, last December. And we'll be posting this to the podcast as well. So um, why am I doing this update? Uh, so the main reason is because COVID is a very quickly evolving situation and uh, a lot has changed um, since the vaccines first became available in mid-December of 2020. So I wanna share um, what uh, I have learned and what we have learned about the effectiveness and safety of the COVID vaccine in older adults, uh, especially since we've been vaccinating older adults for uh, three months now in the United States. Um, and I also especially wanna address concerns that I've heard from um, people these past several months about whether it's safe to be vaccinated um, under different circumstances. I wanna address some other frequently asked questions that I've heard coming up. And I wanna share my latest recommendations regarding vaccination and COVID safety. So some questions that you may have, um, these are some of the things that I have heard, you know, should I get, um, excuse me, should I get vaccinated against COVID? Should my 90 year old mother or 95 year old mother or 99 year old mother uh, or father get uh, the COVID vaccine. I've had some people express worries that the side effects of these vaccines, because it is really common to get some uh, aches and pains afterwards, that that could be harmful to a frail older adult. Uh, you may be wondering how well does the vaccine work in older adults? If you're not wondering, that's a question that I'm always wondering. Uh, you may be wondering which vaccine is best for older adults, which vaccine is safest, uh, should I worry that the vaccine might harm me or my frail older parent? When can I get vaccinated? Which vaccine should I try to get? And then now if I've been vaccinated, is it safe to? And we have lots of questions about that. So those are some of the things I'm going to try to address uh, today. So uh, really quickly regarding where we are at with COVID-19 and vaccinations. So here in the United States, we have had over 30 million cases and over 545,000 deaths. Um, to date. So as presumably everybody knows, we had an especially bad surge um, after the holidays in January of 2021. Um, but since then, things have really improved a lot. So the daily cases have gone from, at one point, it was over 250,000 cases per day uh, for a while. So it has dropped down to about 50 to 60,000 cases per day, um, which is wonderful. And uh, you should be aware that the drop in daily cases uh, kind of steadied out uh, about two weeks ago. And actually, just these past few days, it has gone up. Um, so uh, it had been at around like um, uh, 55,000 or so. And then um, yesterday, I saw in the New York Times uh, COVID tracker that they reported um, something like over 75,000 cases for Wednesday. Today is Friday, uh, March 26th. Um, and now they're saying, uh, I think, over 65,000 cases for yesterday, Thursday. So this could be just a little blip, but, um, but uh, I think it's a reminder that we're not out uh, of uh, the woods. Um, so uh, still, overall, we are um, in a much better situation than we were a few months ago, and actually in a better situation um, than many other parts of the world. And that is almost sternly because we have uh, been reasonably successful in rolling out a vaccination campaign in the United States. So the first COVID vaccines were approved in the United States in mid-December, first Pfizer and then Moderna uh, a week um, later. And then just a month ago, the um, Janssen vaccine, Janssen is the pharmaceutical arm of Johnson & Johnson. Um, so you might hear them, uh, that vaccine referred to as the J&J &J vaccine, or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, or the Janssen vaccine. It's all the same vaccine. So that was uh, received emergency use authorization in the United States at the very end of February. And um, so now in the United States, we have three vaccines uh, available. Um, 
uh, to our population. Of course, it's being rolled out kind of state by state, coordinated by the federal government as well. And uh, currently, it's estimated that we have about 46.4 uh, million Americans who are fully vaccinated. Um, so um, as you know, Pfizer and Moderna require two shots. Um, so fully vaccinated means you've had uh, both injections. Um, and ideally are two weeks out of the second injection because that's when the sort of full protection is presumed. Um, and we have 85.5 million people with at least one dose. Uh, now the newer Johnson & Johnson vaccine requires only one dose. So those people who get um, their dose after two to four weeks, they are considered fully vaccinated. Um, so, um, let me just review what was my initial analysis of the COVID vaccine efficacy. This is something I recorded uh, in, I think, December when the data had first come out for the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and then I posted an update to the, the article. So initially what I saw in the data that was submitted to the FDA and was also later published uh, in the New England Journal for these two vaccines, they are messenger RNA vaccines, is that they had really impressive efficacy against symptomatic COVID in adults up to age 65. Um, and then uh, these uh, trials um, did enroll uh, older adults, uh, fewer, um, but the efficacy seemed to be a little lower, but still very good, um, you know, probably in the mid 80s for the participants who are aged 65 to 75. And then for both the Pfizer trial and the Moderna trial, um, I think only 4% of their participants were over age 75, and they didn't have enough COVID cases in that age group to uh, be able to determine what the level of protection was because you need to have you need to have enough participants and you need to have enough people get COVID to be able to tell if it's not a result due uh, to chance. Um, so, uh, and then in those studies, which both of them involved tens of thousands of participants, there were no really significant safety concerns that were raised. What they saw is that it was fairly common for people to get um, a short-term reaction uh, to the vaccine, headache, uh, blahs, sometimes fever, uh, especially after the second vaccine, uh, especially uh, in people who were younger. So my recommendation at the time uh, was, uh, yes, you know, older adults uh, should get vaccinated, even the ones over 75, the frail ones in nursing homes. But I felt that it was important to be cautious about assuming that there's 95% efficacy, especially for people who are like my patients who might be in their 90s or sometimes uh, are quite frail and um, live in nursing homes. Um, so I was concerned that uh, we might assume that they're 95% protected when it wasn't yet clear, especially since what we know is that vaccines often work less well as people become older and frailer. And that's because the immune system works less well as people become older and frailer and vaccine effectiveness um, is closely, uh, is tied to the uh, function of your immune system and your immune system's ability to mount a suitable response to the vaccine. So now that it's been three months, you know, where are we at? Is COVID vaccination working? And I am so, I've been so pleased to see um, what has been happening because I would answer a resounding yes. Uh, vaccination is working, including for frail older adults. Um, so even though we don't have, you know, kind of updates for the randomized clinical trials, we have lots uh, right now of real world data, which is very encouraging. So we have multiple real world signs that vaccination is reducing COVID cases, COVID hospitalizations, COVID deaths in people of all age groups, including the very old and frail. And so in the United States, uh, residents of nursing homes were, um, when they started vaccinating people in December, it was frontline healthcare workers and um, residents and staff of skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and um, what was observed was that COVID cases and deaths fell among that population, which was so good to see because they really had a disproportionate number of hospitalizations and deaths during the first part of the pandemic. So the cases and deaths fell in that group by 89% compared to by 58% uh, in the general public. Now, of course, um, rates of 
COVID cases and risk, you know, is tied to how much COVID there is in the community. So when case numbers are lower as they are now, there's going to be less risk to people in nursing homes or anyone who, uh, who is high risk, but, um, but they saw the cases fall in the nursing homes before they fell in the general population. So that was extremely uh, encouraging um, to see. Uh, and then what we're seeing right now is that worldwide, some countries have been able to vaccinate more of their population and many have not been able to. We've actually been relatively fortunate in the United States. And so we're seeing that countries with higher vaccination rates, um, Israel managed to vaccinate a large proportion of its population fairly quickly. The UK, the United States, that our COVID um, numbers right now are lower than in many other parts of the world. And notably Europe uh, right now seems to be on the brink of another surge in many countries um, and they are rolling out additional uh, lockdowns and for reasons I won't get into, they um, have had difficulty um, uh, rolling out the vaccine as quickly as it happened here and uh, that is probably a factor in it. So just to say a little bit more about COVID cases and deaths in nursing homes. Um, so again, uh, nursing home residents are older um, and frailer, so at especially high risk of hospitalization and death uh, from COVID, and then a special interest to me because I'm a geriatrician. And so again, they were not represented in the COVID efficacy uh, studies. Um, and we know that they have weaker immune systems and vaccines work less well in them. Um, however, um, the CDC, for anybody who's a data nerd, has a dashboard showing COVID uh, cases and COVID deaths in nursing homes on a week-by-week -week basis. And so what we can see if we look at that data set is that in December, the weekly cases were like 34,000, uh, whereas the week that ended, I believe it's March 21st, um, they had 824 cases. And then there was a drop in 7,000 deaths per week uh, in December to 825 deaths um, per week. These are attributed to, to COVID. So what is not, um, what I don't see in that data, they may be recording it elsewhere, is whether the 825 deaths in nursing home residents of COVID, you know, what proportion of them uh, were vaccinated. Um, but overall, it's a huge uh, improvement, um, which I do attribute to the vaccination campaign. So, so already, you know, if to address some of the FAQs, if uh, you have not been vaccinated yet and you've been wondering, should I get vaccinated against COVID? I would say yes. You know, we have now vaccinated millions of people <laughs> worldwide and in this country, and they are um, really showing to be effective in preventing symptomatic illness and hospitalization from COVID. I have some more, you know, data to share uh, later. So, you know, the randomized trial data that was submitted to the FDA shows effectiveness, you know, for sure through age 75, and presumably it's effective afterwards. It's just a question of how uh, effective. And now we have all this observational data where we're observing that there's a protective um, effect that seems pretty substantial in people who are age 75 and older. So this is a, a huge resounding victory for uh, the vaccine in my eyes. And then if you're wondering, should my, you know, 90 year old mother or father or even older or slightly younger, doesn't matter, get the COVID vaccine, then I would say, you know, yes, even if they are frail, even if they have other illnesses, uh, overall, the evidence shows that vaccinating frail elders does lead to decreased COVID cases and deaths. Uh, and also at this point, they have given millions of doses to frail older adults. I think they've given 3 million doses in nursing homes, which went mostly to residents. Um, there are more residents and also a lot of the staff uh, were reluctant to get vaccinated right away. <clears throat> Although hopefully they're gonna reconsider now that you know we have a sort of more of a track record for the, the vaccine. Um, so uh, they have given millions of doses. The CDC and FDA have been monitoring quite carefully and no significant safety concerns have arisen. And uh, I have a link to it in the Better Health While Aging article. The, the CDC actually did a report at the end of January where they followed nursing home residents very uh, carefully and kind of followed the group that had gotten vaccinated against other ones to make sure there wasn't an increased death rate or hospitalization rate among the ones who were vaccinated and, and there wasn't. Um, so this concern I've heard sometimes is that like, what if the 
you know, the side effects of the vaccine, you know, really harm my frail mother. Uh, right now, that's not borne out. Now, we can never say never, but overwhelmingly, the evidence is that it's much uh, the risk of harm from COVID for any of us, but especially for frail older people is much, 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 much higher than the risk of a vaccine related uh, serious event. And so to put this, you know, again, COVID risk and vaccination risk into context, I spent some time in preparing this, trying to dig up, you know, what, what is our best guess at the mortality rate for COVID uh, right now? So um, it's hard to find. It's not in a lot of published literature. I ended up finding um, the CDC has a data set on uh, COVID cases that were reported to them uh, with information from many of the records about whether the person, um, they do have the age usually of the person and then whether the person was hospitalized, put in the ICU uh, and died. And so I looked at that data set and I actually looked just at the records from um, September onwards because of the early part of the pandemic, the mortality rates were presumably higher because we didn't know as much as we know right now about how to uh, care for serious COVID. And uh, I'm just trying to look to see about how many um, people were involved. Uh, let me see in the over 80s. I think it, um, they definitely had tons of thousands in that data set. But what they, um, I just don't wanna tell people the wrong thing. Um, Yes, yeah, so what it was is uh, it's, it was actually 215,000 people over age 80 <laughs> that they had in their, their data set uh, from September onward. Um, so the mortality in that group was 16.4% overall. If they were hospitalized, it was 43%. And if it said they had been admitted to the intensive care unit, it's 67%. And admitted to the intensive care unit doesn't mean you're on the breathing machine. So it's probably higher for people who actually went on the breathing machine. Um, there can be other uh, reasons to go to the intensive care unit. Um, so uh, it's important to be you know, mindful of this because sometimes people are thinking, oh, well, you know, COVID only one to 2% of people die from it. Uh, that's for younger people. Um, now, I've also had people tell me that the doctor insisted their parent get vaccinated and told them that COVID is a death sentence. But COVID is not a death sentence um, because actually overwhelmingly the majority of people, even who are very old, even in nursing homes, survive. But um, at the same time, in modern times, a 16% uh, mortality rate is, is horrifying. Uh, and of people who survive, they can still have a lot of, um, they can be uh, debilitated and have, you know, long-term consequences. Uh, so again, um, I have had people tell me so many stories that they know so-and-so who got vaccinated and then had this or that happen. The CDC collects vaccine-related adverse uh, events. You can actually search that database online. It has a lot of records. And these are just they're just reports brought in by people themselves or by the doctors. Um, so, so yes, things happen. It's just not clear how much of it was due to the vaccine. And overwhelmingly, um, given the number of people who have been vaccinated, the number of people who have a problem afterwards is small. And again, the risk of harm from COVID is just so much higher than the risk of having a um, serious vaccine-related adverse event. Now, in case you're wondering about COVID risk, uh, if you're not over age 80, I looked at that too. So the current COVID case fatality rate in the United States is estimated at a little under 2%. This is not quite the same as the infection fatality rate, and that's because um, we, we, are, we clearly don't get a positive test and a report to the CDC for every person who catches COVID. Uh, so a lot of people either are asymptomatic or have really mild uh, symptoms or just may not get tested for a uh, variety of reasons. And that's why it's hard to know for sure the exact infection fatality rate. <clears throat> so we kind of, um, and I think at this point, you know, the idea is to have a ballpark, not to get it completely exactly um, right. So it has gone down compared to the beginning of the pandemic. It's now estimated to be a little under 2%. And then when I looked at the CDC data and uh, crunched it uh, for people aged 60 to 69 in the last six months, it's been 2% mortality. For people aged uh, 70 to 79, it has been 6% mortality. 
Um, and so again, the risk of harm from the vaccines is much lower than the risk of COVID harm in all age groups. Um, and it's also like really striking how with every sort of additional 10 years of age, the risk of um, all the bad COVID outcomes, you know, hospitalization, ICU, death goes up uh, pretty dramatically, usually by a factor of between two and three. Um, so, uh, so, Vaccine safety. So, what do we know about the severe adverse events? Uh, so, when I, you know, was uh, researching uh, this little talk, um, the thing that has been of, you know, greatest concern and has the most documentation for definitely related to the vaccine is anaphylaxis, which is the type of severe allergic reaction where people start having difficulty breathing, um, and then people can also have other severe allergic reactions that can be uh, very distressing and potentially life uh, concerning. So right now it's estimated that for Pfizer, there've been about 50 events after 10 million doses given. And for Moderna, 21 events after 7.5 million doses given. For Johnson & Johnson, uh, we have less information about it because they just started giving it and overall fewer doses have been given. In their trial, which included, I think about 40,000 people, uh, they had one case of anaphylaxis. Um, during, uh, during the trial. So that's been the biggest concern. Now, there have also been other things that come up. Um, you know, there's been concerns sometimes about uh, a problem with platelets. Um, uh, uh, some people feel like um, maybe they get, you know, a nerve symptom. Um, <clears throat> and, um, but those have really been just, you know, handfuls of cases. It's not clear that it's related to the vaccine because um, these are things that happen to the population in general at low levels. Um, so for instance, the problem with the, with the platelets. Um, so uh, overall, given the millions of people who have received the vaccine, the data is really reassuring um, and the serious adverse events are overall small in number and it's not clear that they're due to the vaccine. And again, there've been no sign of increased deaths or hospitalizations among nursing home residents who have been vaccinated. Uh, in terms of my personal experience, I don't have a large patient panel right now. <clears throat> I do. We do run a membership program for people helping uh, aging parents that has um, a few hundred members. And so many of them have had their parents, frail older parents vaccinated or have been vaccinated themselves for those who are in their uh, 60s and, uh, and older. And um, a couple of the frail older parents were very tired afterwards or had you know, something kind of odd, but I don't think anyone uh, seemed to get you know, hospitalized uh, due to it. So again, that's anecdotal, but um, I do hear from many members that there's a family member who is against the frail older parent being vaccinated because, you know, the vaccine could kill them. And I just want to emphasize, I think the risk of being killed by COVID is so much higher um, that it, uh, it saddens me to, uh, to hear that. Um, so uh, otherwise, uh, what about you know, what we've learned otherwise about the efficacy or effectiveness um, of COVID vaccine in older adults? And the difference, the efficacy is what you really study in a trial under optimal conditions. Eff effectiveness is more real world uh, data. So uh, we don't have really a lot of new efficacy data because I don't think there's been a lot of, I don't think there's been any randomized trial data on the efficacy of these vaccines since what was submitted to the FDA. Um, but we have you know, real world uh, observations on efficacy. So first of all, overall, the CDC also, if you look on their website, they show the number of deaths every week, including the ones attributed to COVID in different age groups or attributed to other respiratory illness in case it wasn't diagnosed as COVID. And um, so if you track that out, you can see there's um, a big drop in COVID cases and COVID deaths in adults aged 85 plus starting at the beginning of this year. Uh, and then um, there uh, internationally, uh, Israel um, and Israeli group published their study in the New England Journal where they uh, gave the Pfizer vaccine to 600,000 people and then kind of matched them against unvaccinated um, comparisons. And they saw um, what they estimated as 94% um, vaccine effectiveness against symptomatic illness. This was over 
a follow-up period that I think was just one to two months, but still uh, it was very encouraging to see under real world circumstances, very similar to results to what had been observed in the Pfizer trial data. Now, their study did exclude nursing home residents. And even though um, they had 20,000 people over age 80 who were vaccinated, who they matched against unvaccinated controls, when they actually reported the effectiveness data for whatever reason, they didn't report it for people over age 80, which I was interested in seeing. They just have it for 70 plus. So, but you know, still, uh, I you know consider this uh, encouraging. And then in Scotland, this has not been peer reviewed and published yet, but has been reported as pre-publication uh, data. Um, they notice a big drop in COVID hospitalizations four weeks after they had a big rollout of Pfizer and AstraZeneca. They were using both vaccines. Well, we don't have AstraZeneca here in the United States, but they have it in the UK. And uh, their initial um, assessment was that it seemed to be 81% effective in preventing hospitalizations in people over age 80. So my takeaway is that, uh, especially when it comes to the messenger RNA vaccine, so that's Pfizer and Moderna, uh, they are clearly making a difference when it comes to COVID hospitalizations and deaths. So even if it's not you know, uh, exactly clear just how uh, effective they are in people who are over age 85 or in nursing homes, um, they're doing something. And I think they are definitely worth uh, getting. So now what about the newest vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? How is that working in uh, older adults? Um, so they have only started administering it in the United States about four weeks ago. They've given 2.7 million doses and it's too soon to know what kind of effect it's having on older adults, especially since in the United States, um, many of uh, certainly are uh, older, old adults, <laughs> older adults um, were, uh, offered vaccination quite early with Pfizer uh, or Moderna. But um, I did uh, this week look over the trial data that was submitted to the FDA uh, in detail. Um, so the Janssen trial was done in three countries at the same, uh, actually three regions, I should say, at the same time. Uh, it was the United States, it was Latin America, six countries in Latin America, and South Africa. And, um, and they had, uh, let me see. I think they had 40,000 uh, participants. You can see I have it right here, printed out when, when, uh, when I was reviewing it. Um, so um, a lot of their data is not broken out by country, but they have an overall vaccine effectiveness uh, by country or region. And so for the United States, it was 72% against um, symptomatic COVID. In Latin America, 61%, and in South Africa, 64%. Uh, percent. And it's really important to realize that, um, you know, before you compare it to the Pfizer data, that they did their trial uh, under very different circumstances in the wintertime when there were variants uh, circulating. And that may play a role in why the effectiveness is less. Uh, overall, they had 35% of their participants um, were over age 60 and 3.7% over age 75. So again, comparable to the other uh, trials with a pretty small proportion of people um, in the over 75 uh, group. Um, so VE stands for vaccine effectiveness. So after 28 days, um, they do report their data after 14 days and after 28 days, um, but after 28 days against what they called moderate to severe COVID, um, which actually meant having like several symptoms. It didn't necessarily mean getting hospitalized. Um, so for people aged 18 to 59, it was 66% uh, effective. Uh, the 95% confidence interval, the kind of statistical range where they're pretty sure it falls somewhere in between there was 53 to 76% uh, with a very small drop um, among people aged 18 to 59 if the person had comorbidities, it seemed to be 64% effective. And then in their 60 plus group, um, the vaccine appeared to be 66% effective, so similar, uh, but a little bit wider confidence interval against um, moderate to severe COVID. But if the person over age 60 had comorbidities, the vaccine effectiveness did drop down to 42%. And again, this is for moderate to severe COVID, so symptomatic COVID. They actually had nobody 
um, get hospitalized or go, they had nobody go to the ICU and I don't think hospitalized or um, and definitely not die uh, among the vaccine recipients. So again, even though the vaccine effectiveness against having some COVID symptoms for people age 60 who had comorbidities uh, was in the 40s, um, it was still seemed to be quite protective against um, the things that often we really care about, which is being sick enough to be hospitalized or the intensive care unit or God forbid, uh, death. So, um, so I get asked a lot, you know, well, isn't the Johnson & Johnson vaccine not as good? Um, so again, it's really not fair to compare it to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, mostly because the trials took place um, when the COVID situation among participants was really different. So the Johnson & Johnson trial took place during the wintertime instead of the summer. There, um, the variants, um, so I'm, as you've probably heard, the coronavirus is mutating and so now we have variants, uh, some of which seem to spread uh, more easily, so they're more contagious, they may have a higher risk of hospitalization, and some of them may be a little bit more resistant to the, uh, the vaccines. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind and that overall, when it came to the things that mattered the most, this vaccine still seemed to perform uh, quite well and in absolute terms, uh, they were good results. And then uh, since the Johnson Johnson vaccine has only been rolled out this month in the United States, uh, it's too soon for us to have observational data on is it making a difference in terms of the health outcomes for the people who are at highest risk. Uh, so they've given 2.7 million doses so far. And honestly, I don't know if we're gonna get a whole lot of observational data on it just because our frailest oldest um, uh, citizens have you know, already been offered the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines um, for, uh, for the most part. So, and then it's also important to bear in mind that for all three vaccines, the FDA reviewed data that had a, a fairly limited follow-up period of just a few months. So none of the vaccines have longer-term efficacy data available yet. So we just don't know how long the protection uh, would last even if there weren't any variants, you know, it's a little unclear. And then the variants sort of create an additional twist um, for, for everybody. So going back to the FAQs, can you get COVID if you've been vaccinated? Yes, you can. <laughs> so um, reinfections have, um, uh, uh, well, it's not a reinfection. Infections in people who have been vaccinated have been documented. Just this week in the New England Journal, uh, two large health centers uh, reported. So the, what happened with large health centers is that first of all, they vaccinated, um, you know, a bunch of their staff, like pretty much everyone uh, who was willing, uh, starting in December and in early January. And then often they're still doing regular testing uh, on site, or there's the opportunity to do a lot of frequent testing. So they have documented some COVID infections in people who were vaccinated. Um, so yes, you can get COVID. It's it's unlikely or certainly less likely. And then presumably, although we're still like gathering data on this, presumably people who have weaker immune systems, so those who are immune suppressed and probably frail older adults, you know, will be more likely to get COVID if they've been vaccinated because their immune system mounted a less robust response. And that is what the trial data is suggesting. You know, we're seeing a little bit of decrease in vaccine efficacy as people uh, get older, but they should still be much less likely due to the vaccine to have, you know, again, severe cases that cause hospitalization, uh, intensive care unit, uh, admission or death. So you may also be wondering, should you be vaccinated or should a person be vaccinated if he or she has already had COVID? And the answer there, I would say is a resounding yes, this is recommended by the CDC. Now what they say is uh, if you had COVID and you were treated with monoclonal antibodies or convalescent plasma, you're supposed to wait 90 days. Um, but you should be vaccinated because they already have data that reinfections do happen. Um, and older adults appear to be at higher risk. So just earlier this month, a study came out of Denmark 
they studied uh, their population um, for reinfections and they did find a small number of reinfections. And what they found, which was very sobering to me, was that having COVID in the past for older adults seemed to reduce their risk of reinfection by 47%, whereas for the general population, it seemed to reduce the risk of reinfection by 80%. So, um, uh, so that was, you know, uh, you know, they had limited uh, data. They, they didn't have that many people who I think had experienced reinfection, right? So the more data you have, the better, the more confidence you can have in, in your results. But, you know, this is suggesting that older adults in particular are at risk for, for reinfection. Um, so having had COVID in the past is not a reason to feel like, oh, well then I shouldn't take the risk of the vaccine. I would take the risk of the vaccine because again, I consider it really teensy and I consider the risk of COVID much more uh, significant. Also, the CDC has a report on um, a situation that happened in Kentucky. A nursing home in Kentucky had an outbreak in July and five of the residents who tested positive in July tested positive again during another outbreak in October. And what is really sobering is that for all five of them, their COVID cases were much more severe the second time around. I think the first time around, two or three of them like were even asymptomatic, you know, had kind of shown up when they tested everybody because of the outbreak. So all the cases were more severe the second time around and one person died uh, the second time. So uh, again, um, do not uh, assume that past COVID is protective, especially as people get older and vaccination for people who have already had COVID is recommended. Now what the CDC um, is still trying to figure out is uh, people who have had COVID before seem to have a much stronger response to the first shot for Pfizer and Moderna. So they're actually trying to figure out whether those people actually need two shots or whether just one might be enough. Uh, but I don't think they've made a final recommendation on that. So for now, I think you're still supposed to go for two shots, but that, that might change fairly soon. So another frequently asked question, do the vaccines protect against the COVID variants? Uh, so this is under really active study. And, um, and just recently, a small uh, study done in the lab. So in the lab means that they basically have antibodies and pieces and they um, you know, add the vaccine right there and they sort of observe what's happening to the antibodies uh, in a lab scenario, not in like real life people uh, to see whether they get sick from COVID or not. Uh, so what they showed is decreased antibody neutralization of the Pfizer vaccine against the B1351, uh, which is also known as the South African variant, but not um, for the B117 UK variant. So in other words, this suggested that the Pfizer vaccine might be less effective against the South African variant than the UK uh, variant. But um, we still don't know how a decreased neutralizing antibodies in a lab test corresponds to real life performance. And that's because you're a, a human's immune system is much more complex and is generating an immune response beyond uh, the specific antibody neutralizing activity that they are studying in the lab. Um, so this is an area of really active investigation. Um, the vaccine makers are all monitoring it and, you know, working on boosters or, you know, modifications. Uh, what's good is because of the way these vaccines are um, manufactured, it's actually not, I think, apparently it's not technically that difficult for them to change the kind of uh, code in the messenger RNA um, and, uh, and modify the, the vaccine, although they still have to make enough doses and get them out to people. Um, so, you know, an area of active uh, investigation, which you can follow um, in uh, the news, or maybe I'll have another update in a few months. Um, and then another frequently asked question, which you may not be asking yourself, but is actually really important from a public health perspective. Do these vaccines protect against transmitting COVID? So uh, this is unclear because this question was not explicitly studied in the trial data that the vaccine manufacturers submitted to the FDA, because at that time their priority was to show that it prevents, reduces symptomatic COVID and prevents hospitalizations and deaths. You have to study people differently if you want to 
um, study the question of, is this like preventing transmission of the COVID virus, uh, which was not done. So uh, this is another area of uh, active research. The presumption is that vaccination reduces the risk of transmission um, uh, because they think that if you do get sick from COVID and start creating the virus in your body, you're creating less of it because people aren't getting as sick. Um, um, but, uh, but it does seem like the main effect, you know, of um, vaccines is to reduce more serious COVID illness. So right now it's presumed that vaccinated people can transmit COVID, especially to unvaccinated people. And in a moment, I'm going to talk about, you know, the recommendations for people who have been fully vaccinated, but it is still recommended to, you know, be cautious about being around unvaccinated people because of the possibility that you could transmit COVID to them. Um, so frequently asked question, which vaccine is best for older adults? Which vaccine is safest? You know, kind of which should I get? Um, so it's really not possible to say which is the best because they, um, so technically to answer that question, we would need to study them in like a head to head where they were like put under the same conditions and studied and that hasn't happened. And I don't know that it will. Um, uh, at this point, we have more real-world effectiveness data for Pfizer and Moderna, um, mostly because they were out sooner, especially here uh, in the United States. All three vaccines seem to have a very good safety record, and there does seem to be less risk of serious uh, allergic reaction in Johnson & Johnson vaccine, so that might be a uh, consideration um, for, for people. So overall, they're all very safe. Um, they all provide, you know, uh, good protection um, to uh, to adults. Uh, and in terms of which might be better for people who are particularly old and frail, uh, you know, I would say we don't really know, and I don't know that we are going to find out. Um, but if you're worrying, you know, should I worry the vaccine might harm me or my frail older parent? I would say no. Please don't worry about that. Um, I would only worry about it if. Uh, you or your parent has a history of really severe allergic reactions. Um, and even then, even those people, they're being recommended to get vaccinated because most of them don't have the reaction to it or the reaction can be uh, uh, managed. Um, so um, might you feel blah after getting vaccinated? Yes, potentially. You know, uh, could that be really hard on someone who's frail and older? Uh, yes, potentially. Now, remember also people who are frailer and older are less likely to have the vaccine reaction because a lot of the blahs or symptoms that people get is caused by the immune system reacting to the vaccine. And that's why we see more of those reactions in younger people. Uh, if you're wondering when can I get vaccinated and which vaccine should I try to get? If you haven't yet had the opportunity to get vaccinated, hopefully it is coming soon. Um, most states are really pushing to expand vaccine access. Some of them have already expanded and said that any adult who um, uh, wants the vaccine should be able to get it at that point. Others are, you know, have a plan to pretty rapidly make it available and the supply is mostly keeping up. Uh, you know, experts are actually projecting that we'll have a surplus of vaccine by early summer. So. Uh, I would say, um, you know, to find out when you can get vaccinated, you really have to find out uh, what's available in your county. It can be a fair amount of work to figure out where to get a vaccine appointment. Um, but in general, I would say get vaccinated as soon as it becomes available to you. The CDC's recommendation is to take whatever vaccine is available unless you are allergic to the ingredients. Um, so uh, I would say that also. Uh, I will say, you know, for those much older, frailer, older adults who for whatever reason haven't been vaccinated yet, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, again, we have more of a track record for Pfizer and Moderna. Um, Moderna actually has three times the mRNA, I think, as Pfizer. So it's a little bit bigger, I think, kick in the immune system, which I think is potentially helpful because um, that's a strategy that's been used for other vaccines to make them more effective in older adults is up the dose. Um, but the truth is that uh, most people don't get a choice. When a vaccine appointment comes up, uh, often when you get there, they tell you what they're going to give you and you just kind of take it. So, um, so I would say don't worry too much about it. 
And the one-shot Johnson Johnson vaccine can be uh, extremely convenient. There, it's actually possible that they might start, um, that that one might become easier to give to people who are homebound. That has been an issue in geriatrics. There's a certain number of frail older adults who are homebound and can't come into uh, the clinic to be vaccinated. And the Johnson & Johnson vaccine requires less intensive refrigeration and only one dose. And so again, if, you know, um, if someone that you care for is homebound or having difficulty getting out, if somebody can come and it's the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, I would say, well, just take it, <laughs> you know, take whatever is available for, uh, for right now. So another frequently asked question, um, if I've been fully vaccinated, is it safe to, and then that, you know, uh, is it safe to hug my grandchildren? Is it safe to travel? Is it safe to have people over? Is it, um, I mean, people have all kinds of questions. So uh, this is also rapidly evolving. The CDC has a page with the latest recommendations. Uh, I believe right now, um, if you've been fully vaccinated, you can gather in small groups inside with other people who are fully vaccinated or even with a small number of people. So for instance, grandchildren or family members who are not yet vaccinated, provided they are not at high risk of complications if they were to catch COVID. I think that's the latest. But in general, they are still uh, recommending caution about you know, big groups, especially inside and recommending you know, masks and precautions for most uh, situations again to prevent, you know, the possibility of um, uh, transmission, and I think to continue to emphasize, you know, we still do not have most of the population uh, vaccinated, and so reopening too quickly before that, um, you know, that might be one of the reasons why we're starting to see some increased numbers this week. Who knows? Um, so the other thing I think is important to emphasize is that vaccination makes things much safer, but it's not a hundred percent safe. Um, so I encourage people to still continue to choose the safer options when possible. So if you can gather outside instead of inside or in a place that's well ventilated, um, you know, that's really great. And then I would say be mindful if you or if someone else is at higher risk of one of two things. One would be decreased vaccine effectiveness. Um, so that would be a reason to be, you know, maybe a little bit more cautious about what you take on. So uh, if you or your older parents uh, have, you know, are immune suppressed um, or are, you know, uh, of what we, you know, what they sometimes refer to as advanced age, which is often, you know, later 80s or 90s, uh, frail, uh, just be mindful that again, the vaccine might be a, a little less, you know, or maybe somewhat less, who knows? I think it's still protective for sure. Um, uh, effective. So before you put yourself in situations where you're exposed to a lot of COVID or COVID risk, um, and then also be mindful if uh, someone that you're interacting with is, you know, again, at higher risk of severe COVID illness. So an unvaccinated person who, um, you know, again, might be of advanced age or have a lot of comorbidities uh, to be a little bit more cautious about that. So um, the vaccine is protective and it's making things safer, but it's just not yet making us bulletproof. And it's important to keep that in mind or COVID proof, I guess I should say. So um, why we need as many people vaccinated as soon as possible. Um, uh, it's wonderful that so many people in the States have already gotten vaccinated. We need more people vaccinated, which is partly about getting the vaccines out to those who want them. And also there are a fair number of fence sitters, people who have concerns. Uh, there is a fair amount of misinformation. I didn't go into debunking all the claims you know, uh, today, but there is a fair amount of misinformation out there. And then there are other people who just for historic reasons have suspicions of, um, of uh, uh, the intentions behind the vaccine or just concerns about has it been um, adequately tested. It's true that these were developed quickly because, you know, it's a crisis. <laughs> so, and we are really lucky that they were able to develop the vaccine so quickly. It was an unprecedented scientific feat. Um, but um, it is really important for as many people to be vaccinated as soon as possible because more vaccinated people means that COVID will spread more slowly among the population and that will have lower levels overall. So that means less chance of problematic variants developing. That means it's safer for those frail or vulnerable people who may not respond as well to the vaccine or for those people who for whatever reason are not you know, vaccinated, which actually right now includes all our children, right? And even though children 
are uh, at a very low risk of hospitalization or serious complications, some of them, uh, some of them do get sick. Or right now, we also have all our young adults um, who um, who are unlikely to get hospitalized, but some of them. Um, you know, a certain number of people who catch COVID have lingering symptoms for a while that can cause significant disability. Uh, so the more people are vaccinated, the lower the amount of COVID in our community, which just creates a lot of benefits for us as a society. And most importantly, it makes it safer for us to continue to reopen businesses, schools, social activities, and get closer to something that resembles the life we had before the pandemic. So uh, we need to curb COVID so we can continue to reopen safely. And vaccination is a really, really important uh, part of that. And um, so if, you know, uh, getting vaccinated both protects you and is also, I think, another way to think of it is that um, is that it's like a battle against COVID and we're all going into battle and maybe this, you know, one in a hundred thousand risk of something happening due to the vaccine, if it's even that, um, uh, is, you know, the, the chance we take. And if we were soldiers, we would say, ah, that's a teeny risk for battle, right? Um, so, uh, so to summarize, um, I absolutely recommend COVID vaccination for all adults, especially older ones, even if they are very old, very frail, because uh, it just seems clear to me that the risk of harm from COVID vastly outweighs the very small possibility of a serious vaccine adverse reaction. And there's no reason right now to suspect long-term harm from vaccination. So Pfizer and Moderna do have a more established record at this point among older adults, but any approved vaccine should be considered acceptable. Remember that COVID vaccination is protective, but does not make you COVID proof or people around you COVID proof. So continue to take precautions and follow public health recommendations. And then uh, let's have patience with reopening. I know everyone's like eager to get back to whatever it is we were doing um, before, but I think if we can just maintain our patience and be measured about it for at least another month or two, especially if we can get a lot more people vaccinated, that should make it uh, much safer. So, and with that, thank you very much for watching my COVID update today. Please stay safe, take care, and thank you for being part of the Better Health While Aging reader and listener community. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.